Today is April 24th, 2013, Wednesday, and uh, the title of tonight's message is From Point A to Point B. Shortest distance between two points is a straight line. If you get to vary to the left, vary to the right, you elongate that line and make a longer trip from point A to point B. So just make sure you guys are not falling asleep now that the AC is kicked on and the freezer is now in effect. <laughs> Say point A. Point A. Say point B. Point B. We draw a line in between the two. So to begin there, let's do a Deuteronomy chapter five. Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Hor. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, Paul's right there. You guys ever had a conversation with somebody and you thought that you clearly outlined what that point you're trying to make was, right? You were definite that you said it as precise as could be. But three days later, that person did not understand one bit of what you shared with them. Right? So we, judgment begins with the house of God. So we look internally, introspectively. And you begin to think, maybe there's something that, that I did or I said that, that did not communicate the proper intent and focus and centerpiece of what my point A to B really was, right? So then you begin to deduce, like, well, let me just try one more time and confront this person or newthetically speak to them, those of you who know about newthetics. And you reiterate to that person at that second time what that clear point was. And you're even more deliberate about exactly what you want and when you want it. Well, then three days more go by and they don't get it. Now, who is the responsibility on? The hearers. Somebody tell me, what is the Hebrew word for hear? Like, with your ears. Shema. There we go. Hey, we're alive tonight. Shema. So when we look up here at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 5, it says, Hear, O Israel. Everybody, come on. We're going to wake up a little bit. Grab your ears. Welcome them about a little bit. Everybody say Shema. 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 So that we got some kind of kinetic movement going along with memory. Shema is to hear with the intent to obey. Let me say it again so that you can hear. Shema is to hear, listen or hear with the intent to obey. So right here in Deuteronomy 5, we have a scenario that God is delivering His people, Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery. And He's making a very clear point. In fact, about 613 of them. But He's beginning it with, listen with the intent to obey. When you open the Word of God, 
it is no different for you than it was for the nation of Israel. That these 66 books are put in front of your face so that you can listen with the intent to obey. When it is said and done, when we go from point A to point B, God wants to make it very clear to you what He desires from you specifically. Now raise your hand if you have children. Most of us in the room. If you tell a child, go into the pantry and just have anything that you want, is that dangerous or is that safe? <laughs> it's dangerous. Dangerous because your child may eat the, the outpourings of a fire extinguisher. You never know. <laughs> they may tear into a, a full bottle of Tabasco and think that it's cherry sauce. Or they just may be consuming things out of that pantry that seem fit to their own flesh. But we go back to the very beginning, before God even called Israel out, when He called mankind out of the earth and spoke and breathed and Nashima life into him. He gave him very clear rules. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes adhering to rules can be rough because the situation or the event cloud your judgment. And you really begin to think, what did that person, that rule, this government or God really say. All this language sounds familiar because in the garden, God gave them a very clear rule, a point A. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. There's a point A, there's a point B. God makes it very clear in His Word from Genesis to Revelation that there are rules that he does not budge on. That we have to open our ears and shema at all times. We can never rest from listening. Listening with the intent to obey. But there's a goal in mind. So, we continue to read. Verse 6 in Deuteronomy 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. Now the little bit of reading I've done, I've heard and learned that usually when uh, a Jewish man quotes the Ten Commandments, he begins not with verse 7 of you shall have no other gods before me. He begins with the very first or the very first line in that quotation. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What if every time you opened up the Word of God, and before you read any verse, you read this one to perceive all others? Let's break it down a little bit and see what that point A to point B really is. I am the Lord, your God. You open up the Word of God and you realize that it is your establishment of covenant with Him. Before your very eyes lie the very words of God that He's given to all of mankind. And it is a relationship with you. You meaning the individual, you meaning your household, you meaning your city, your state, your country, your world. It's all of them together. Then you move on to who brought you out of Egypt. Now, why would God remind them every time that they go to read His declarations of intent, His desires, His expectations, who brought you out of Egypt? 
why would, why would I remind my child about the time that I saved them, rescued them from death at the age of five when I'm speaking to them at the age of 15? It's the equivalent of saying, don't you remember who I am to you? When you open up the Word of God and you begin to see in that mirror of His Word, you are to be reminded that your relationship with Him, this is His words of His covenant to you, and then never forget the same God who rescued you, delivered you out of slavery to sin, the day that you were born again, is the exact same God who's in control now. Let me give a very clear reference of what I'm building into. There is a point A, there is a point B. What is in between is immaterial, it's irrelevant. It has nothing to do. But you would say, but Matt, what about this tragedy in my life? What about these circumstances that press me, that challenge the very word of God that exists within me, if not my own salvation? I'm telling you, the word of God says it is immaterial. It's irrelevant. And I want to show you why. Y'all want to know why? Yes. Give the rest of 1999. No. Genesis chapter 15, verse 4 through 7. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I need things laid out in a very clear and plain way, leaving no wiggle room, making it black and white, so that when all else fails, there's a definite default that I go to. So Genesis chapter 15, 4 through 7, we have Abraham being or coming into covenant with the living God. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. If the Lord pulled you aside tonight when you were driving home, and I mean the Lord is the very presence and the audible word a voice of the living God told you to pull over on the side of the road and says, Zeke, pull over right here on Belknap. I want you to look up at the stars and count every single one of those. I'm going to make your descendants, your sons and your daughters as numerous as those stars in the sky. Don't you ever forget it. And then you rate roughly mm, 30 years. Well, 25 years for the promise, another 17, and you have to crucify, or you have to, to kill him with your own hand. Wouldn't you think at that moment when Abraham had his hand raised with the knife, he's looking down upon his son Isaac, that these words don't echo back in his mind? But God, didn't you say that from my body would come descendants as numerous as the stars? Wasn't this a sign of our covenant together? You promised, Lord. Why won't you fulfill? But we learn from Hebrews that Abraham reconciled in his heart that God would raise him from the dead. Do you see the point A to point B? And what's in between is immaterial. Crucify or crucify. Slaying, sacrificing Isaac was immaterial because there was a greater goal at hand. I want to encourage you, saints. God has a call for every person in this room, for every believer. Good works prepared in advance to do. 
you began the work of God by saying, I do to the covenant with God when you got born again. The end result is resurrection and glory. What lies in between in your lifetime is immaterial. It gives you some solace. It gives you some peace and quiet and calm that sometimes now events are really not that big. It has everything to do with not wavering to the left or to the right of the course, correct, course direction that God has set from your A to your B. Y'all got that? Let's continue reading. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as a righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now this preceded the nation of Israel, but do you recognize the similar language? I am the Lord your God. I'm going to remind you of who I am. And those of you who have been going through discipleship class, I'm going to remind you of my name, the depth the height and breadth of who I am. Who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. When we read God's word, when we interact with our relationship with him, we're immediately going to be confronted with the magnitude and awesome power of his name. We're then going to reflect upon what he has delivered us from. You know, whenever Paul was writing Corinthians, and such were some of you, when he lists in Corinthians 6, those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a remembrance of what God's power has delivered you from. The mistake that we have, that I have, is to look at a situation and say, how am I going to deliver myself out of this? How is my name, my reputation, my strength going to sustain or overcome this supernatural obstacle. Well, you match supernatural with supernatural. I don't know about you guys, but the Lord has been gracious to me to allow me to endure circumstances that I cannot fix myself. This is why we sang that song earlier, I'm pressed but not crushed. I should be pressed. I should be cr not crushed, but I should be depleted to the point where I absolutely understand that he is the Lord, my God, who delivered me from the slavery of sin on February 17, 1992. And it is his course that has set my life towards the resurrection. Paul was put on trial because he preached Christ and crucified and the resurrection of the dead. But more importantly, the resurrection from Jesus. That's what we studied uh, a couple weeks ago. So in your trials... And trust me, you'll probably walk out of this door tonight and you will face something of some kind of magnitude that will challenge the Lord's name in your life, the Lord's deliverance of your life, and the Lord's call in your life. And your face and your feet have to be resolute that it is the resurrection that He is after. I, we are never called to give up any one of those three things, but we hold fast to our salvation, which means we hold fast to his name, his reputation. We hold fast to what he has done and displaying his name in our past, and we hold fast to the promises that he is going to complete what he has started. Amen. Most of you have been in my house, and you see just the opposite of that. You see several projects that 
have been started but not completed. I'm getting better at this. The Lord has shaped me to be more like Him, that He is the author and finisher of my faith. And praise God, He will be the author and finisher of construction in my house. Amen. Alright, so turn to Matthew chapter 4. I'll say it with me. When we go from point A to point B, what is in between is immaterial. It has no substance. It means nothing. Though it feels like something, right? See y'all there in Matthew 4? Alright. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. This word led, a Greek word, I think it's New Testament 321 of Strong's means to be brought with leadership. As if you would take a horse or a donkey and by the bridle and rope and lead him into the desert. Where did God lead Israel when they delivered, he delivered them from Egypt? Into the desert. Being called out from the early Chaldees to go to the land that he would once inherit, God called Abraham first to travel through the desert. Uh, Joseph and Mary went fleeing from Herod fled through the desert, led by the Spirit. I see a repetitious pattern here. Well, these are all great, Matt. These are Sunday school examples. We can put the little characters on a sticky board and watch them travel across the desert. That means so much to me. When God calls you, when He leads you, it is not a surprise that He leads you to a barren and dry place. You know why? So that he can show himself to be God and God alone. There is no other opportunity for you to make it outside of him. That's the center of God's will for your life. And nine times out of ten, what the Lord has been doing in my life is carving out the, 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 the aid and the programs and whatever else I've added on to my life to make sure I don't have to suffer or depend upon him ultimately while in the dry place. You guys are called by God to advance His kingdom with force, to bear fruit unto the Father for His glory. And let me tell you something. The minute that you set your feet and your face out to do it, you're going to get popped square in the mouth. You're going to face obstacles. You're going to be challenged, if not discouraged, to the point of wanting to give up. And if Eric or myself or our families had ever given, given into that three months into starting, we wouldn't be standing in this place. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been advanced by force. And forceful men lay hold of it. Lay hold of it. Lay hold of the name, the history, and the promises of God in your life. And don't let go of them. Let it be only death that can separate you from them. And just like Jesus, it actually be the fulfillment of it. So if we had us to draw some kind of analogy, we have a point A, we have a point B, was in between is Egypt and slavery to sin, or Egypt and slavery is equivalent to our slavery to sin. The point B is the promised land, the resurrection of the dead, that we will eternally rule and reign with God. But I want to show you a few more things. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Yeah. 
Come on, we need to eat this part of the Word of God more than we do drink water every day. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, ladies, I like that, please, what you will wear, I like that one too. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Go home tonight. If you have the Scurfery uh, channel, turn it on. Look at some form of creation and watch as they eat and feed maybe on each other. That is the heavenly Father that is sustaining millions, if not billions, of creation every single day. What do you have to worry about? Nothing. It's immaterial. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I mean... I don't know about you, but I don't remember a day where I woke up and said, Lord, I just need you to clothe me. I need you to put clothes on me. I need you to put food on my table. I have it, number one, because we live in such a blessed land. But secondly, in every shape and form, God has met my needs as long as I've been obedient to Him. In the times that I have invested my energy, my life, and being consumed with any one of these facets, I've wasted time. I've wasted the grace of life that God has given me. Exerting all this force into nothing. Nothing. That he was taking care of me all along. Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the who? For those who don't know God run after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Is it sometimes it's just comfort alone to know that he knows? And you keep going back and forth to know that he knows that you know that he knows? Something like that. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seeking the kingdom looks like drawing from not your extra, but drawing from what you need. Financially, materially, time, and pouring it into someone else for their benefit and not just your own. You seek righteousness, which is right standing with God. That in a situation where you could lie, where you could just curb the details in order to give you a little bit of an edge in whatever it may be, doing what's right, even if there's a penalty or a loss, is right with God. And He you just enabled him to supply everything that you need. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Everybody said amen to that. Amen. So Romans 8. Verse 17. Now we learned through going through a uh, 
1 John, but also in John, that if you are a child of God, it means that you have an activated, trust-grounded obedience to Jesus, right? The children of God are those that are born of God. You're born by being obedient to the Word of God. So in that light, Romans 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his what? In order that we may share in his glory. This is a beautiful way of saying you cannot get to the resurrection unless you first go through the cross. You cannot bypass sufferings. Was the cross a hard and painful and excruciating thing? Yes. When compared to the resurrection, is it immaterial? Yes. Cassie, if you could pull that, that slide. It's a very complex slide. Don't be blown away. <laughs> Bottom left hand corner, what is there? A. Top right? B. All right. Shortest distance between the two? There we go. What is in between from going... From A to B is immaterial. Go to the next one. A, slavery to sin. Every single one of us, every single man and woman that has ever walked this earth, you begin in a state of need. And that need is to be freed from slavery. In some shape or form, we are slaves to sin outside of Jesus. But once that love, once that afflicted body of the pure lamb enters into our life and we center and base our life on holiness, on right standing with God, we then allow ourselves to chart the course to be, which is resurrection. The end goal has always and will always be the resurrection of the dead. Will you or will you not participate in it? It's based upon, are you staying on track with him from A to B? Are you letting the events in between A and B knock you off course? But the song that we were singing earlier in worship, right? <laughs> Pressed but not crushed, persecuted not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. For in this earthen vessel, this earthly tabernacle that we have, we have a treasure that far surpasses it. So when you guys go home tonight or face whatever trial that may be, I want you to look in the word, see the promises of God that he has deposited inside of you. And despite the pain, despite the circumstance that you have within you, the kingdom of God, you have a treasure that far outweighs any circumstance in the immediate of today. Come on, who's ever had bodily pain over a course of a month? It grades on your mind, even to the point where you think you are losing your mind. Those ladies who have been pregnant can say amen to that all day long. You guys who are older may have knee problems, something you have to wake up and face every single day. It'll never go away. At least that's the way you feel. That when you set your eyes upon the end goal, the end goal is not being pain-free. 
The end goal is not finding the next pill or the next substitute to alleviate you of your circumstance. The end goal is the resurrection. And Paul said that the, is this resurrection power, this power that God exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead that is now at work in us. So it's dual fold. That we have the ability to tap into resurrection power now as we live, but also then to come. So if I pray for the next 15 years for God to heal my knees and he chooses not to, then I'm just going to lift my head up and smile and say, well, it must be that the resurrection is going to take care of all of this. You see how that just changes the entire perspective rather than a hopelessness of, I have to suffer with this until the day that I die. No, you don't. Because an eternity with the king and a resurrected body far outweighs 70 years struggling along with knees that don't feel good. Amen? Come on, put your hope in the living God and more so in the resurrection because it's available for you now and will be in the future. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand your feet.